Good morning. You have no idea how different you look from the front than the back. Uh, we've been watching online for so long, I, I didn't know if you had faces or not. Uh, my name is Joel Adorman. It is such an honor to be standing in front of you to actually have a name. I, I understand how, you know, we had to be kind of quiet about it. We had to say the candidate. I, I get it. I do. I do have a name, and I'm so glad to be with you. And I want to give a real quick shout out to my crew that is with me this weekend, and they have endured the juggernaut and marathon with me. And I want to introduce you first to my prime rib, my good thing, my absolute best friend, uh, Patty, my wife. And everyone that has met her this weekend looks at me and they're like, what did you do to get her? And I'm like, dude, I was there. I still don't know. Uh, Our daughter, Danielle. And our son, Jonah. All right, I'm done embarrassing you now. Thank you. Okay, so uh, my name is Joel. And if you're, if you're new around here, um, I am too. This is my first Sunday. So next Sunday, this could be you, right? And if you're, if you're joining the service online, I am telling you, I have been where you sit uh, behind the screen. and It is so much better in person. I mean, that choir is just bringing it. It was amazing. So if you are anywhere close to this area, you absolutely have to get here. This was amazing. Wow. Okay, so it's amazing uh, that who we are has a way of coming out in our behavior, right? Eventually, it's going to slip out. And a story is told of a prosecuting attorney that called his witness to the stand. And they swore in Mrs. Garcia, and she sat down. And the prosecuting attorney said, Mrs. Garcia, do you know me? And the grandmotherly lady said, why, yes, I, I know you. I've known you since you were a youngster. And let me tell you, young man, I'm quite disappointed. Matter of fact, you got in trouble when you are a kid, and now I know that you drink way too much, you cheat on your wife, and you've done everything possible to get ahead in your career, no matter the cost. Now, the attorney is shocked. This is his witness. Not knowing what else to do, he points back to the defense attorney, and he says, Mrs. Garcia, do you know Mr. Bradley? And she said, well, yes. I know Mr. Bradley. Matter of fact, I babysat him for his parents when he was just a little boy, and he didn't turn out too good either. Matter of fact, he has the shoddiest law firm in the state. I wouldn't trust him to represent my dog. And yet here he is. He just thinks he's going to amount to something, and he'll lie, and he'll cheat, he'll do whatever he can just to win a case. Now the courtroom is just going crazy. I mean, they're just, oh, you can feel the air sucking out of the room. And the, the, the judge wraps the courtroom to silence. He calls the attorneys up to the bench, and he says, If either one of you ask her if she knows me, I'll hold you in contempt of court. (laughs) Because who we are has a way of coming out in our actions. People know. We think they don't, but they do. You know, social media is great because you get to project whatever image you want. But eventually people meet you and who you are will come out. And I have a friend of mine who leads a Celebrate Recovery ministry. And he often will say... If who you are doesn't come out of your mouth, it'll come out of the side of your neck. You know, in other words, that, that eventually your actions betray your heart and they show who you really are. And they, they demonstrate that and they reveal that and they show the world, they show our world, our, our little corner of the world, they show that world who we are. Now, as disciples of Jesus, those who claim to be Christian were following Jesus, we are not exempt from this. 
People will figure out who we are and what we are. And they'll figure that out by our actions. You know, they say character is what you do when nobody's watching. That's what we're talking about. Now, the, that's the kind of the bad news. The good news is we're not the first people to deal with this. We're not the first people in the Bible even to deal with this. We're not the first people who read the Bible to come up with this. People, the people of God have been dealing with this for a very long time, where our actions are betraying our loyalties. Or really, we could say they're revealing our loyalties. Because in the Old Testament, the people of God, the nation of Israel, boy, their reputation was not that good with the prophets. The prophets uh, knew the people of Israel as stubborn. I love the old King James for, word for it. They were stiff-necked. That's what the prophets often called them. Now, the prophets were not these killjoys that just came down and hammered on the people. They were the mouthpiece for the Lord. And so they would often give the message of God. And sometimes we preacher types will read their words as very angry. Now, sometimes that's true. But their whole passion was to try to get the people of God to align their hearts with their behavior. Because remember, when you're talking about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, you're talking about the people of God who lived in a covenant relationship with him. There were obligations to that. God had already redeemed them and made them his people, but now they had to live a life that was a to be a light to the Gentiles. That's all of us non-Jewish people. And as Christians, we're in the same boat. We've already been redeemed, but now we have to live in such a way that that light shines on others and they see our Father and they see Him in our behaviors and our actions. So in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, which I'm going to be today, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, we're talking about heart matters. Because behavior flows from our heart. Because who we are is going to come out of our mouth or the side of our neck, but it's going to come out. And in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because he was just broken over his people. More often than not, these people would be given a choice of life or death, and they chose death. And he'd come back and he'd say, I beg you, choose life. They chose death. And so oftentimes he would present his prophecies as some if-then statements. You know, if you do this, then God's going to curse you. But if you do this, then God's going to bless you. Well, the People would oftentimes choose the, the cursings, but they were not unwarned. And yet I find in Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter 17, verses 5 through 8, such an incredible hope for us today, even though we live on this side of the cross. It's an amazing truth found in this passage. Follow along, if you will, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. and says this, This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They'll not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worry in a year of drought and never fails to produce fruit. Now, typical to Jeremiah, he starts off with these cursings, and then he gets to the blessing. But in his cursings, he's talking about this curse of a self-focused heart. What does it look like when we live for ourselves? What does it look like when our drive in here walks out as selfishness? What does that look like? 
And as we break down this passage, we can see it. it it's so clear cut. He says, first, that, that we, are, we are cursed when we trust in others for our deliverance. Now, you've got to understand, God is not up there going, eh, I'm going to curse you and you, I like you, so I'm not going to curse you. Oh, yeah, you're going to get it. I've often told people I would have been a terrible savior because I would have smote me a long time ago. But God doesn't do that. That's not how he does it. It's, it's behavior that determines that. Remember, these are already the people of God. If you have committed your life to Jesus and you have given him your life and, he is, and you're a Christian, you are a disciple of his, it's not about losing salvation. It's not at all that. Once he gives you that gift, that is your gift. You've got it forever and you can take it to the bank. We're talking about what do you do after that? And that's where the people of God were after that, that they are cursed, meaning that God is going to, he's willing to remove his hand of protection from them. Now, pause and think about that for a second. I don't want God to remove his hand of blessing from me. I don't want him to remove that protection from me, but he's saying that's what's going to happen, that you will be cursed under certain circumstances. He will remove his hand of blessing. That's scary. But he says we get that way first when we trust in people for our deliverance. When we trust in others to do for us what only the Lord himself can do. That is one way we're cursed. That's one, one evidence of a self-focused heart. But also when we draw strength from mere flesh, meaning ourselves. You know, it, it, it's, I, I, I bleed red, white, and blue. I'm a patriotic person. But here's the kicker, though. The American culture, we tell ourselves to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. Be strong. You know, we're, we're very proud of that. And yet, that's the last thing we really need as the people of God. Because we don't need to rely just on ourselves. Yes, we need to you know, live our lives. Yes, we need to be responsible. I'm not talking about that. Don't take it too far. But I'm saying we can't rely on ourselves for deliverance. We can't rely on, on getting what I want and I stomp on whoever I need to to get there. That is not the Jesus way. That is not the way God would have his people to be. That would be drawing strength from our own flesh, from our own selves. And then lastly, he says that we're cursed when we, when we turn our hearts away from the Lord. Now, you could almost look at this as a progression on this as you work through this and say, how do you get from there to being the people of God and, and living your life and you're being just, just on fire for the Lord, as we might say? And then how do you get all the way to that point? But you kind of heard it the way I said it. We get a little colder. We move away from that passion. We, we're not stirred the way we used to. We're not, we're not moved the way we used to be moved. Things don't affect us as much. We just kind of go, okay, about the things of God. Instead of letting it move us. Instead of letting it stir us, instead of, instead of feeling Holy Spirit conviction and, and that change that he causes us to be and to know that we get to be a part of bringing someone else to Jesus, we turn away from that. We pursue other things. And the Lord says under those circumstances, he's willing to remove his hand of blessing, not our salvation. He's not saying you're going to not become his child. He's just saying, okay, you want to have it your way? Try that out and see where it goes. That's frightening. But yet, Scripture tells us that's what can happen to us as the people of God. Now, what happens specifically to our lives when we get there? That's in verse 6. Look at it again. That person who does that turns to themselves, self-focused. They'll be like a bush in the wastelands. They'll not see prosperity when it comes. They would dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. Salt in the Bible is used in a couple of different ways. But in this way, it's meant as a curse. 
Because in Mesopotamia, southern Iraq to be specific, we have these archaeological evidences that, that tell us that in the 2nd and 3rd century B.C., there was this weird salinity creep that was going on in the land. And so the land would get increasing levels of salinity. Now, after a while, the land, the ground, would get so salty that nothing could be grown there. And because nothing could be grown there, no one could live there. And it would have to be abandoned, sometimes for centuries at a time. That's the metaphor the Lord is using through Jeremiah. That when we get so self-focused, we get so salty in a bad way, that now we become essentially barren. We become so cold and so distant that we become essentially unusable by God. That's frightening because we do it to ourselves. But, and I love this, Scripture's got some real big moments that use the word but, but there's also the blessings as Jeremiah comes around to a Lord-focused heart. What happens now when we focus on the Lord? We've seen the bad news. Now Jeremiah says, now here's the good news. Seven and eight. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This word bless would be the exact opposite. This is, this is about God's putting his hand of blessing on us. Now, if I'm going to choose one or the other, I'm going to choose that one, right? That's, what, that's the one I want. That God would put that hand of blessing on me. And that's what he's saying now. Now, when we experience that, now we're like a tree that's planted by the water. Now we have provision. God will take care of our needs. He'll supply those things for us. He will care for us. He will guard us. He will guide us. He will be there. He will supply what we need because we're focused on him for our survival. We're focused on him for what we need. We're focused on him for the very life that we have. Because we recognize the only life we have is in him. And that's one of the blessings we have of a Lord-focused heart. But also, Scripture says we don't fear when the heat comes. Which means we're blessed with protection. Now, I love that little phrase. If you're a marker person in your print Bible, you need to underline this one. You're using electronic, highlight it. This is a good little phrase. That, we're, that we're, we don't fear when heat comes. Because you notice it didn't say we'd be protected from the heat. It didn't say that the heat would never come. It didn't say that bad things would never happen. It said, but when they do come, the Lord is that shade over us. Maybe you have some experience with heat. Yeah? Summer, you know? Well, where, where we live now, it can be 115. And it's hot. It's a dry heat, but it's hot. But when you have a shade, 115 is bearable. Now, that shade might be a hat. That shade might be a building. Whatever it is, if you have something to protect you from the brutality of the sun, it's tolerable. But if you get in 115 in the sun or around here, like 99 degrees with the humidity, good grief, then that's a whole different story. That, that's what he's saying. He's saying that when we are blessed by the Lord because we're focused on him, now we have that shade that makes the heat bearable. We have protection. Well, I need protection, don't you? And that's what he's saying. And also he says that we never fail to bear fruit. I, I love this. I love this because we, we sometimes forget that, that in God's economy, his whole goal is for us to produce the fruit of righteousness because his goal is always to show the world his wonder. 
Whether it's the Old Testament saints being a light to the Gentiles or whether it's the New Testament saints taking his gospel to the ends of the earth, starting in our, with our next door neighbor, we get to bear fruit for him. We get to have this fruit of righteousness and he produces that in our life because, I mean, again, look at the progression. He has sheltered us from the scorching heat. He's given us water and nutrients to do this and now he's producing this fruit in our lives. But it's because we have focused on him. And we have centered our lives on him. But we're not called to focus on these items for ourselves. See, that, that's where it gets really tough. Because if we just do it for ourselves, we say, well, I, I, you know, Joel, I want that blessing. What do I have to do to find that blessing? Careful, because we're not doing it for, for ourselves. We're not doing it so that we can say, I've been blessed and, and I've got all this good stuff. It always comes back to, I want to live in such a way so my actions reveal my love for the Savior. That my actions, because remember, the world is watching. They're always watching. You've heard stories from people standing right here, your staff team specifically, where they've told you stories where people that you didn't even know were watching would come and maybe come to a fellowship meal or they'd come to some event and they would make a conversation with you because they had been literally watching there and they'd been watching you or they'd been interacting with you and you didn't even know it. See, the world's always watching. And what they're trying to see is this. The world is trying to see if this Jesus stuff is real. Because talk's cheap, Right? I can say whatever I want to say. That's nothing. It's how I live. That now is something very different. So as we approach this whole idea of God's giving us this option of being blessed or being cursed, it comes down to recognizing that the world is watching. And that when we receive that blessing, it's to receive that blessing so that we can be a blessing out to others. As Rick Warren said on the very first page of his book, Purpose Driven Life, your life is not about you. My life is not about me. My life is about others. Your life is about others. So we seek this from the Lord because of that. And so what Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 is trying to convey to us and trying to help us understand is that the measure of our obedience is the measure of our blessing. We're not talking about earning grace. You can't earn grace. It's grace. We're talking you're already in a relationship and now we're talking about finding this blessing and the measure of our obedience is the measure of that blessing that's what he's saying the more we focus on the lord the more we're going to receive his blessing and also the more we focus on him the less we're focused on ourselves and by definition so we don't have to worry about that self-centeredness that distracts us we say okay lord it's all about you i want to live life focused on you and then that that is returned to us as his blessing His hands on us, protecting us, nourishing us, guiding us, guarding us, using us. See, one of the greatest feelings in the world is when you know that you are a part of someone else taking one more step towards Jesus. No matter where you are in that chain, you know, it's easy to kind of say, well, I didn't lead them to Jesus and I I didn't baptize them. No, no, if you were there in their process, you changed their life. What a blessing that is. That's part of it. That the Lord uses us. And, and when we are obedient to his way, when we actually walk a life of obedience, now we get to walk in a life of blessing. Because that's how it's measured out. That the measure of our obedience is the measure of our blessing. Look into the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. I'll read it to you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Again, he's talking to Christians here. The people of God. 
And the author says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. It says, be careful that you don't turn away because the measure of our obedience is the measure of our blessing. And as Christians, we can turn away. We don't lose salvation, but we can walk away from the blessings. We can walk away from the the moving towards Jesus, the, the sanctification process. We can turn away from that, and now we're walking our own way. So the author of Hebrews says, be very careful that you don't turn away from that. Don't turn away from God. Don't turn away from his, his blessing, his path, his, his choice that he would want us to make for blessing, but also to be used in his kingdom. Because the measure of our obedience is the measure of our blessing. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do eh, just a couple of things. Oh, that's not what he said, is it? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nada. Zilch. Settle. Nothing. He's calling us to join with him and stay in him. Now, the problem with being a living sacrifice, as they say, is we keep crawling off the altar. We keep saying, "Ah, I'm going to try it this way. No, 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 no. Remain in him. Because the measure of our obedience is the measure of our blessing, our ability to be a blessing, our ability to receive, but to give. It's why I'll often say that when you boil down the issues that our culture deals with, when you boil down the issues that the church deals with, when you boil down the issues that I deal with, we can have all kinds of surface answers. And sometimes, okay, maybe that works. But at the end of the day, we don't have problems just as simple as saying, well, we have some marriage issues or or we have some relational issues and we have some anger issues. I'm not doubting that we have those issues. But underneath all that, we have a sin issue. We have a heart problem. We have an issue within our heart. We have chosen to be selfish. I can't tell you the number of times I've had a couple come in and they'll they'll go back and forth with each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm listening to them and I'm like, do you realize how selfish you're both being? I, 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 I. That's your problem. I. We have an I disease. It's all about me because we, we, we focus on ourselves. It's, it's human nature, but it's a nature that the Lord is trying to remove out of his people where it's less about I, less about me and what I want. It's more about blessing others because the Lord has blessed me because the measure of our obedience is the measure of our blessing. And don't forget that blessing is not just meant to come in here. We're not, we're not dead waters. It's meant to flow out to others. A story is often told of a man who goes in to see his physician because he has pain in several places. The very careful physician looks at her patient and says, all right, sir, can you, can you point to where the pain is? Point to everywhere you hurt. Well, he looks at her and says, well, doc, it hurts. Hurts here on my leg. You know, it actually hurts right here on my elbow too. And now that I think about it, it hurts up here on my head. Well, just now I realize it actually hurts on my side. The doctor's perplexed. So she... She examines him very carefully, very thoroughly. Finally, she takes a deep breath. She pulls off her glasses and she says, Sir, you have a broken finger. (laughs) See, sometimes our issue is we're not diagnosing the problem. We're diagnosing a symptom. See, we cannot cure what we refuse to diagnose. 
Which means we have to, as, as disciples of Jesus, as Christians, as people of faith, we have to talk about measuring obedience. We have to deal with the idea of actually measuring that in our lives to gauge our sanctification and to measure that obedience. Years ago, I was challenged in the way that I used a particular phrase. I would say things uh, like, okay, I would tell pastors and ministers, and I would say, okay, you know, look, ministry is tough, but here's the priority list. You do, you do God first, and then, then your family, and then, then ministry. That sounds really good, and it's very clean, it's very easy, it's neat. I can bullet point it. If I'm thinking really hard, I can alliterate it. You know, and we can make this thing work. But then another, another pastor friend challenged me on that. And he said, Joel, is it really a to-do list? Well, I mean, no. He goes, okay, so is there ever a point that you're done with God and then you go to family? Well, I mean, obviously not. Because Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So, I mean, in theory, you're never done, right? He said, well, no. And he's starting to leave me. And I know where he's going and I'm resisting it. I'm like, no, you will not destroy a perfectly good illustration. I will not, I will not yield to where you're going. He said, so if you're never done with God, you're never going to get to your family. So how does ministry fit in? And how does ministry fit in with your family if it's one, two, three? Oh, you messed up a good illustration. But then he challenged me and he said, what it actually is, what it probably should be conceptualized as, as a series of concentric circles. That Jesus is the center of our lives. Like the center of a solar system. He's the sun in the solar system. And everything else we have orbits around it. So it's still in the center. Because I can guarantee you, if my wife and I, on the few times that, that we disagree, and it's typically me, but if we disagree, that is not the Lord that caused that t- tension and friction in our marriage. The Lord doesn't do that. That wasn't him. What it meant is one of us got out of orbit. Probably me. But we got out of orbit. And so now we have to go back and fix that. Why? Because if Jesus is the center, we will be in the ministry of reconciliation even to each other. Raising children, any parents in the house, okay? If Jesus is not the center, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough with Jesus in the center. It is, I don't know, pert near impossible if Jesus isn't in the center, all right? See, that's the idea, that our lives are fixated with him in the middle. He's the son of our little, of our little solar system called our lives. And we're part of what he's doing. And so he's the center. So my question is, Is he the center of your universe? Do you center on him with your time and your talent and your treasure? I mean, your stuff, your life, everything you are. Is he the center of that? Are you you obedient to him in those areas? See, I have a great advantage. I don't know all of you very well. I know the search committee a little bit more than most of you. You know, I I know most of you, but maybe a few names. My problem is I know some names. I know some faces, but I don't know the names with the faces. So I don't know your stuff. But are you obedient with your time, talent, treasure? See, the center of that universe and everything you're doing is operating around that? I can tell you my answer is no. I, man, I am not done with that one yet. That's hard. That means when you, when you look at your finances, are you operating in a way that is godly or in a way that the world tells you to do it? I'm not saying there, there isn't good advice out there. Of course there is. But the Bible also has advice. Are we following good godly counsel there? When it comes to our time, or you know, are we, are we managing our time in a way that honors God? 
Not just here on Sunday mornings. That's very important, of course. The Bible talks about the gathering of the saints. And I even told the, the great folks online that it is so great being here together. I'm glad technology exists and we can go into homes. And I'm so thankful for I watch several churches on a given week. And I'm, I love it. But it just isn't the same. Because we're humans. God knows we need each other. Are you, that's an important priority. What about everything else? What about the other six days? Are you giving God that time in your life every day? Are you spending some time with him? That's what I'm talking about. See, the center of that universe. Are you obedient in those ways? And then here's the real kicker. If we get obedient in our lives, how does the whole church look? Is First Baptist Louisville loyal to the mission of God to make disciples by focusing on him and keeping him at the center of what we do, in the center of all that we are, in the center of everything that it can be? I mean, I love what I do. I love what I get. I have the greatest job in the whole wide world because God called me to be a pastor. And I love it. But what I love more isn't even about what I get to do, but what I get to see. When I see churches, get it. When Jesus suddenly comes into the focus and he's in the center, and suddenly everything just changes. And it's not even surface level. It's the, it's the drive underneath it. We greet differently. We talk differently. We, we interact differently. There's a lot more hugging in those situations. Why? Because there's fellowship. There's unity. There's, there, there's, there's oneness in that. So that's why I ask you that. Is Jesus the center, not just of your life, but of this church? That's a tough one, isn't it? Tough one for every church, if we're honest. But we don't want to just, you know, it's like the old song says, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. That's what I'm talking about. We don't want to look at the church left and right. Us. You. See, the prophet Jeremiah warns the people of God that there is a path of cursing and there is a path of blessing. Now, of course, the path of blessing is what God wants. That's the path he wants us to take. That's where he wants us to go. But he leaves that choice up to us. And yet, the truth is, the measure of our blessing is related to the measure of our obedience. Because the old expression goes, at the heart of the matter, the heart matters. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And just there in the the, the altar of your seat, just ask yourself that question. Am I putting Jesus in the center of my universe? Do my actions show that he's in the middle? Would my family and friends agree that my actions show that? Look, you're not perfect. I'm not saying we're perfect. Can't be. But are you growing in that direction? Ask yourself that. Ask the Lord to show you that answer. Listen to him. Ask yourself about the church family you're a part of. Is Jesus the center of that? Does the church operate in a way that says, yes, I will. Yes, we will. Ask the Lord to show you that. Scripture tells us he has set before us life and death. Choose life that you may live. And we're entering in the time of the service that is the best part 
because it's the part that we get to respond. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be done. I'm going to pray for us. And there'll be folks up here. We're going to sing again. A song that really wraps this whole idea up. There's going to be some folks up here that will be here to pray with you. And look, enough facade. I know it's sometimes hard to come down front because you're going to think, everybody's going to think i got that problem. Look, I'll be up front if it makes you feel better. I will come pray with someone if it makes you feel better. But en- enough. If, you, if you're saying, man, I, need, I want to pray the Lord does that and just lights the fire in my soul. Come pray with somebody. You want to know what it means to follow Jesus and why a bunch of Christians get this excited? Come down here and ask somebody. If they're busy, I'll be right on the side. Come ask me. I would love to tell you all about Jesus. Lord Jesus, we lift you high. Our King of kings, our Lord of lords. We understand, Father, where we have failed. You know that we are frail. And yet we stand under the blood of your son asking forgiveness for wholeness and thankful that that is exactly what you give us. You exchange ashes for beauty, death for life, hopelessness for hope. You are so good. And in response to that, we just yield and say yes. Yes, we will lift you high on the throne of our lives, on the throne of this church. We lift you high that this community would see the church of two steeples as a church where you are found, where people would just drive past and go, something's happening there. And I got to see what that is. That's what I ask for my brothers and sisters. And even as they go through their life, as they go through their world, as they go to work, as they go to school, as they go to class in the next few minutes, that, that people would see them and say, whoa, i got to have what you got. Bless them with that. Bless them with that. And in this time of response, may we just surrender again to what you would do, declaring, yes, we will. Yes, we will. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's stand together as we sing. Team's up here. God bless you as you come.